0: Will Farrell gave the following piece of marital advice. He said, before you marry someone, if you really want to see who they are, make them use a computer with slow internet. <laughs> because patience, or rather one's lack of patience, That gives you an excellent lens into someone's truest character. Patience tests the best of us. We all know how we feel when it's experiencing the slowest possible driver on the 405. It's usually me. I apologize. (laughs) Perhaps it's sitting with someone who forgets the end of a story and insists on repeating the entire story from the beginning. We all know someone like that or perhaps it's more serious, whether it's navigating an illness or experiencing a personal or professional hardship. Each one of us can fill in the blank with something that causes us deep frustration. But I'm really not here this morning to teach us how to be more patient. Instead, I want to explore the emotion that's often attached to impatience, anger. Author MJ Ryan explains, impatience is a continuum, beginning with irritation, leading to anger, ending in rage. We all heard earlier about what happens in the Torah portion in Ki Moses ascends Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. And he and God get word that B'nai Israel are building a golden calf, engaging in idol worship. Moses is disheartened and God is furious and becoming impatient. It's God who says, now let me be that my anger may blaze forth against them, that I may destroy them and make you of a great nation. And Moses responds, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. God, don't do it. (laughs) Don't let your anger prevent you from being the God that you have been for our ancestors, the God I know our people need. And for a moment, God pauses. But we know that's not the end of the story. Because the Midrash explains that as Moses walks down the mountain, God's letters, these divine, magical letters inscribed on the stone tablets, the letters see B'nai Israel dancing and praying to a foreign god. These divine, magical letters that give Moses the power to hold up these impossibly heavy slabs of rock. And as if the letters knew that Moses was about to lose his temper, when the letters see the golden calf, the letters choose to fly off of the stone, causing Moses to drop the tablets. I think to teach and to model for all of us that sometimes it's better to put down our wrath. In those moments in which we know our rage does not serve us, in those kinds of situations where, like the tablets, our anger feels so very heavy, where our anger feels all-consuming, the Torah is asking us to let our anger fall to the ground. However, When we learn how to control our anger, how to distill our anger into fuel, I think we might discover a great mental and spiritual tool, an anger that doesn't stop us in our tracks, but an anger that drives us forward so that we may do our part in changing the world. Because as Noah said in his Devar Torah, we're angry. I am very angry. I'm angry to learn about a murder of a young man, Dr. Ben Haruni. I'm angry that there are still hostages in Gaza who are being held captive, who haven't seen daylight in about 148 days. Hostages that are being tortured, starved, and abused in ways we can't even imagine. I'm angry that our brothers and sisters in the land of Israel continue to be displaced for they fear for their security and safety on these compromised borders in which Hamas and Hezbollah reign terror, reign terror on Palestinians and Israelis without any global condemnation. And I am angry that this week, first at UCSB and then at UC Berkeley, our college students are being harassed and assaulted for no other reason than the fact that they are Jewish. And I want to share a story with you, a story with permission, that I heard from Vita Kivenfar, Sinai Temple Congregant, who is a senior at UC Berkeley. Her mom is with us this morning. Because Vita teaches me, you can be angry, but you can't be complacent. You can be angry, but you can't be motionless. You can be angry, but if you are, then you better use your anger to make a difference. You see, Vita is the interim president of Berkeley Tikva, the leading student Zionist voice on campus. She and I spoke, I believe it was Wednesday night, and she shared with me her harrowing experience. You see, her Zionist student group invited legal expert and IDF reservist Ron Bar Yoshafat to speak about his firsthand account serving in Gaza. Well, the university administration learned about this event, and so they encouraged Vita and the other Zionist leaders to change the date of the program. Because it was clear that bears for Palestine would be sending protesters to the event trying to create as much chaos as possible. Well, Vita and others refused because why should Jews have to change the date of an event because of someone else's anti-Semitism, because of someone else's anti-Zionism? And so the students, and you have to think about this, students, we're talking 18 years old to maybe 22 years old the kind of wisdom they have, the leadership they have, they agreed that they would change the location, not the date, change the location in order to provide kind of a greater space between where the protesters would begin and where their event would eventually take place. But somehow, where does Vita find herself? This young, brilliant, beautiful young girl is placed directly in the line of fire because she was told to block what they thought was the only entrance of the auditorium. And she would be the one cross-checking the RSVPs with people's IDs. Now, she could hear the protesters before she could actually see them. Imagine 200 people with faces covered walking straight towards you. Like I said, she thought she was the only open entrance into the event. Police were nearby, but the protesters weren't scared. They called her slurs. They were screaming at her. They tried to get in front of her computer to take pictures of the RSVP list because here we go, it's a list of Jewish students that they could target for the future. And then by chance, Vita looked down at her phone and saw a text message from a friend and it said, Vita, you have to get inside because they're here. They somehow got inside. Now why was Vita scared? Because her younger sister Shia was inside those doors. So she ran inside to make sure that Shia was okay and to see if there was any way to keep the other violent protesters out. But it was too late. The protesters had already smashed glass, they broke windows. One of her friends was strangled in the process of trying to close one of the doors, and Vita's own arm, her hand, was injured trying to do the same thing. Now, Vida explained to me that when she was outside, the police said to her, we can't protect you. You should probably go indoors. But when she was inside, the police said to her, you better go outside because inside you're no longer safe. So can you imagine that fear, that confusion, that rage? You're not safe inside, but you're not safe outside. So I want you to think for a moment. What do you think Vita did next? If she had said to me, Rabbi Guzik, I decided to go home, crawl into bed, and put the covers over my head and cry, I would have completely understood. If she had said, Rabbi Guzik, I just stood paralyzed, I didn't know where to go or what to do next, I would have nodded in agreement. But neither of those examples happened. Instead, what Vita decided to do was contact all the original attendees for the event, and she told them that the speaker deserved to be heard, and they should all meet together right now in the midst of this chaos. They should go right now to Chabad to hear his voice. What Vita decided. She said, Rabbi Guzik, we needed to be together during this horrific experience and we needed to mobilize. And then this is what she said. I don't want Jews to stop coming to Berkeley. Quite the opposite. Come to Berkeley and show them who we are and what we stand for. Vida is my Torah. Even when the world around her feels so hard to carry, feels too heavy to bear. Instead of throwing up her arms in despair and disbelief, she continues to stand tall and continues to be proud because she knows that she has a mission to fulfill. 148 days since October 7th and it's clear, we cannot let others' harassment, violence and scare tactics wear us down. So be angry, be enraged, be loud, be strong, be unified, and don't give up. I want you to be proud because, in the smallest of ways, we decided to show our support to Vita and other Jews on campus, and Sinai Temple decided to sponsor Shabbat dinner this past Friday at Chabad and at Hillel. Again, it's a very small offer, but we wanted our students to know that they're not alone. The Zohar teaches us that anger tears and uproots a person's soul, causing a foreign god to dwell within them. But I think the mystical text is speaking about an anger that consumes the soul, not the kind of anger that transforms into passion. The kind of anger that doesn't atrophy the heart, but rather allows the heart to expand in ways we never knew it could. Now remember, after those first tablets fall to the ground, Moses doesn't abandon B'nai Yisrael. Once again, he ascends Har Sinai and returns with a second set of tablets. And we know as the Jews wander through the wilderness, they carry both. They carry the broken tablets along with the whole Perhaps to symbolize that sometimes, sometimes our anger is too burdensome to carry and must be let go, just like those original first tablets. But other times, this time, it's precisely our anger that serves as an uncomfortable, as a painful, as a mobilizing reminder. Kol Yisrael, Aravim Zebazet, all of Israel is responsible for one another may we thoughtfully speak up, speak out, stay unified, and stay steady. And one day, I pray to God, may our anger dissipate, for we will have seen a brand new day, a day in which the Jewish people are frightened no more. Shabbat Shalom.